MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Today, Mark Meadows files a lawsuit against Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee as they prepare to send a criminal contempt referral to the Department of Justice. Sidney Powell's group raised more than $14 million spreading the big lie. Roger Stone invokes the Fifth Amendment in the 1-6 probe. And a former D.C. National Guard official is accusing a senior army leader, actually two senior army leaders, of lying to Congress. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, my lovely Dana. How are Hello, you? Hello, A.G. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No complaints today. Yeah. Um, big important news day, you know, with this Sidney Powell story coming out. We are able to see that the Department of Justice is investigating in parallel with the January 6th committee. And that's huge news for everyone who's wondering, you know, if Merrick Garland is doing anything. He is. And he's been doing it for months. And we had no idea until about a week and a half ago. So this is really cool. And then later on today, I'm going to be talking with my friend, Tommy Howe. He's running for city council. And we're going to talk about the importance of local elections, especially with the Build Back Better and infrastructure money that's going to be coming to your city. So fantastic. That's yes. Local elections are important. People all the way down, up and down the ballot. Don't we need to start reading the judges. I'm telling you right now, after some Mm -hmm. of the cases we've seen, we need to start paying a little more attention to the judges. Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Right. So um, we got a lot to get to today. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top story today. Mark Meadows. He's facing an imminent threat of criminal contempt of Congress charges because they they just came out 18 minutes ago and said we're going to refer him for (laughs) criminal contempt. Well, he's suing Speaker Nancy Pelosi and members of the January 6th select panel. Oh, good Lord. The former White House chief of staff has filed a legal action against Pelosi, according to court records, as the January 6th select panel prepares to take action against him. Meadows has claimed he can't discuss matters that could be covered by executive privilege. (laughs) Uh, Interesting that he just goes on Fox News to talk about it, though. And the judge, I think, is not going to look kindly on that. And I would bet my paycheck that that video of him on Fox News talking about things that the January 6th committee wants to know about will turn up as evidence in the lawsuit. But the panel has rejected that claim, noting that President Joe Biden has not asserted privilege to block Meadows' testimony. And President Joe Biden is the one who asserts privilege here. A spokesperson for the January 6th panel declined to comment. The lawsuit is not yet on Pacer, but we will tell you all about it when it drops. Discovery should be lit AF, by the way. (laughs) And uh, Meadows failed to appear today. So the 1-6 committee has said they are going to file criminal contempt charges. And we also learned today that text messages given to the committee by Meadows show that he communicated with a member of Congress, not yet named, and told that member of Congress he loved the idea of appointing a, you know, a set of fraudulent electors as part of a, quote, direct and collateral attack on the election results three days after the November 3rd election. That's according to documents he submitted to the committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. The committee revealed the information in a letter to Mark Meadows's lawyer inf- <laughs> informing them of their intent to move forward with contempt proceedings. The three page letter gives further insight into Meadows's involvement in the events related to January 6th, including those text messages an exchange between him and a member of Congress about appointing fraudulent elector slates in which Meadows said, I love it. So he's Don Juniering it up here, especially if it's in the summer. I love it. A text message exchange between him and an organizer of the January 6th rally where Trump calls on the crowd to go to the Capitol and a January 5th email about having the National Guard on standby. Hmm. Meadows could be the third Trump ally to be slapped with criminal contempt charges for defiantly refusing to cooperate with the investigation. Ex-Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark asserted his Fifth Amendment rights after first claiming conversations between him and Trump were protected by attorney-client privilege. They're not. (laughs) Trump's former advisor Steve Bannon said Trump's lawyers directed him to claim executive privilege over communications leading up to and during the insurrection. And Trump also sought to use executive privilege to block the National Archives from turning over information to the committee. And I just want to point out here that all of this bending over backwards and all of these concessions made for Meadows were necessary to strengthen a criminal contempt case. Remember that, you know, that annoying dance, by the way, that will allow DOJ to indict Meadows without worrying that they could lose their case on appeal for not making every effort to accommodate him. And as we know, absolutely federal criminal procedure, 
DOJ cannot indict if they cannot maintain, obtain and maintain a conviction. And so that whole delay dance, which everybody was pissed off about, was absolutely necessary. And it reminds me, Dana, back in the Mueller, she wrote days when they were trying to serve subpoenas and people were shirking them. Mm-hmm. That they had to find them, look for them, go after them, take weeks and weeks and then send them by. They had to get a judge to OK it, to send it by email and put it out on social media and that that counted as proper service. And they had to go through that due process and that due diligence to ensure that their case wouldn't be overturned. Right. And now we actually have a Department of Justice that hopefully will back it up, yep. which is nice. Yes. All right. And A.G., in the months after the former guy lost the November election, lawyer Sidney Powell, and she's been all over the news lately, she raised large sums from donors inspired by her fight to reverse the outcome of the vote. But by April, questions about where the money was going and how much there actually was were helping to sow division between Powell and other leaders of her new nonprofit called Defending the Republic. So on April 9th, many members of the staff and board resigned. That's what the documents show. Among those who departed after just days on the job was their chief financial officer, Robert Weaver, who, in a memo at the time, wrote that he had, quote, no way of knowing the true financial position of defending the republic because some of its bank accounts were off limits even to him. He's the chief financial officer. (laughs) It's his fucking job. Okay. (laughs) So records reviewed by The Washington Post show that defending the republic, they raised over $14 million dollars. That's a sum that reveals the reach and resonance of one of the most visible efforts to fundraise using baseless claims about the 2020 election. Previously unreported records, they also detail acrimony between Powell and her top lieutenants over how the money, which is now a focus of inquiries by the federal prosecutors in Congress, was actually being handled. Hmm. So last week, the Post reported the federal prosecutors, that federal prosecutors have subpoenaed financial and other documents related to defending the republic and a political action committee by the same name, also headed by Powell. So she's in a lot of trouble. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection sees Powell as a leading beneficiary of election-related falsehoods and has been seeking to determine how much money she raised, said a person familiar with the committee's work who spoke, of course, on the condition of anonymity to discuss confidential conversations. So This is going to be a big deal. And they're following this. It is. And I encourage everyone to read this Washington Post article because it's so important to learn the Department of Justice is investigating quietly alongside the January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. Powell met with Trump in the Oval Office. And if Powell is under investigation, so is Trump. I'm confident in saying the DOJ is investigating Trump. And a former D.C. National Guard official is accusing two senior army leaders of lying to Congress and participating in a secret attempt to rewrite history of the military's response to the Capitol riot. In a 36-page memo, Colonel Earl Matthews, who held high-level National Security Council and Pentagon roles during the Trump administration, slams the Pentagon's inspector general for what he calls an error-riddled report that protects a top Army official who argued against sending the National Guard to the Capitol on January 6th, delaying the insurrection response for hours. Now, remember, the Pentagon inspector general was fired by Trump and replaced with a friendly one. Matthews's memo sent to the January 6th committee this month and obtained by Politico includes detailed recollections of the insurrection response as it calls two army generals, General Charles Flynn, who served as the deputy chief of staff for operations on January 6th, and Lieutenant General Walter Piott, the director of army staff, quote, absolute and unmitigated liars, he says, for their characterization of the events of that day. Matthews has never publicly discussed the chaos of the Capitol siege before, On January 6th, Matthews was serving as a top attorney to Major General William Walker, then commanding the D.C. National Guard. Matthews' memo defends the Capitol attack response by Walker, who now serves as the House Sergeant-at-Arms, amplifying Walker's previous congressional testimony about the hours-long delay in the military's order for the D.C. National Guard to deploy to the riot scene. Matthews' memo levels major accusations that Flynn and Piot, and remember, I tweeted out, remember the name Piot. Absolutely lied to Congress about their response to pleas for the D.C. National Guard to quickly be deployed on January 6th, that the Pentagon's Inspector General's November report on Army leadership's response to the attack was replete with factual inaccuracies, and that the Army has created its own closely held revisionist document about the Capitol riot that's worthy of the best Stalinist or North Korea propagandist. Flynn, now the commanding general of the U.S. Army Pacific, and Piot didn't respond to request for comment. Army spokesperson Mike Brady 
said in a statement that the service's actions on January 6th have been well documented and reported on, and General Flynn and Lieutenant General Piat have been open, honest, and thorough in their sworn testimony with Congress and DOD investigators. That's baffling to me. In addition to Matthews's memo, Politico also obtained a document produced by a D.C. Guard official and dated January 7th that lays out a timeline of January 6th. The D.C. Guard timeline, a separate document whose author took notes during the call, also said that Piat and Flynn at 2.37 p.m., quote, recommended for D.C. Guard to stand by rather than deploying them to the riot. Four minutes later, according to the Guard timeline, Flynn again advised the D.C. National Guard to stand by until the request had been routed to then-Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy and then-Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller, who was also installed last minute after Trump fired Esper. Everyone on the call was, quote-unquote, astounded, except Piat and Flynn. So the 1-6 committee is on it, and I assume the Department of Justice is too, but we don't know and we haven't heard, so I'm just assuming. I think you're probably right. Your assumptions are often on there. Okay, Roger Stone, this this fella, you know, everyone's, everyone knows he's a longtime advisor to the former guy. So he's refusing to be deposed or to hand over documents to the House Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot. His attorney said in a letter dated Monday. The letter, which Stone provided to NBC News on Tuesday, invokes his Fifth Amendment right not to testify. Listen to this shit. This is a quote. Given that the select committee's demand for documents is overbroad, overreaching, and far too wide-ranging to be deemed anything other than a fishing expedition, <laughs> Mr. Stone has a constitutional right to decline to respond. No, he doesn't. This is his, yeah, he doesn't. This is what his attorney, Grant Smith, wrote. He continued to say, indeed, the select committee seeks an imprecise and undefined category of, quote, documents and communications concerning a broad range of constitutionally protected political activity. No, they don't. None of this shit. Come on. Coups aren't protected by the First Amendment, you guys. Oh, I'm also not surprised. Roger Stone seems to have an idiot for a lawyer. Shocking. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm shocked. All right. We'll be right back with San Diego City Council candidate for District 6, Tommy Howe, for a discussion about the importance of local elections. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp, bringing you professional online counseling. We can all use help in life when it comes to mental health. My experience with PTSD and anxiety has taught me that it's way better to ask for help than to try to do it with, like alone. But it's hard to ask for help. I know that. It was hard for me to ask for help. But BetterHelp makes it easy and convenient to do that. You can message your counselor at any time from anywhere in the world. You get timely responses, and you can schedule weekly meetings by phone or video. It's more affordable than offline counseling. Financial aid is available. And you can always change your counselors if you don't have that great therapeutic match. It's easy and free to do that. So visit BetterHelp's website and read some testimonials like this one by user DA who says, Dr. Tome has taken the time to follow up with me when I haven't been responsive. I really appreciate her kindness and her expertise as well. I would recommend her to anyone who's suffering from grief or anxiety, as I think talking with her would be a benefit to you. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash daily beans and you can join the over one million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional there's a special offer for daily beans listeners you get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash daily beans and today's show is also brought to you by helix sleep we know how important it is to get a good night's sleep all night i used to toss and turn night sweats all day i would feel exhausted but thankfully i discovered helix sleep i realized i was sleeping on someone else's mattress uh, Helix Sleep gets you the best night's sleep of your life by taking the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Helix will match your sleep preferences and body type to a mattress that's perfect for you. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses great for regulating body temperature if you sleep hot. And they have mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. Uh, my quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium, firm bed and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. And now I wake up feeling rested and refreshed. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews and was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by a lot of leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a solution for improving your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free. And they have financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is now offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by my longtime friend who is now running for District 6 San Diego City Council. Please welcome Tommy Howe. Hey, Tommy. 
Hey, very, very nice to uh, to see you. And otherwise, uh, uh, thanks for having me on the program, Allison. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. When I found out you were running for city council, I was like, we need to get you on the podcast so we can talk about the importance of local elections. We we focus so much of our energy, you know, on this program and, and in the country on what's going on in the White House and Congress and the Senate. And, you know, rightfully so. Very important races coming up. You know, every election is the election of our lifetime. I know. Probably from here on out. But it starts with local elections. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I have known you for, I think, a couple of decades now. And um, you've been very, very heavy into politics locally for a very long time here in our fair city, America's finest, San Diego. (laughs) And, uh, you know, back back from your DJ days, uh, you know, on on FM 94.9, the alternative and (laughs) (laughs) and just this rise to, you know, because you've always been a huge proponent, especially of environmental issues, water, et cetera, you know, for your entire career. And I'm so excited you're running for city council. Talk a little bit about the importance of local elections, not just here, but in anyone's city and why we need to get out and put people on city councils that are going to be change makers. Well, first of all, you want to be involved with local politics because if you're not, someone else is. And that someone else may not be someone you want speaking for you or representing you or making decisions about you or your children. So that's that's probably the number one concern right now. But the funny thing is, is that when you are in a local election and you are talking about basically all being in the same pool, so to speak, in the same community, Sometimes some of those partisan issues tend to dissipate. And some of the, the, those things that can really separate us sometimes uh, don't really come to, uh, uh, to the forefront of the discussion. For example, I'm running for San Diego City Council. This is a seat that I ran for back in 2018. I was the endorsed Democratic candidate for this seat back in 2018. But back then I was running against a uh, Republican incumbent. And now city races are nonpartisan. I think that's appropriate. They should be. There isn't a a Democratic or a Republican way to go and fill a pothole or any other way. This is the right way or the wrong way to wind up doing that. And uh, I didn't really speak to a lot of Republicans during my 2018 run because I knew they were going to eventually go home to that incumbent candidate. But um, this time around, it's been different. We've really had an opportunity to really expand. um, uh, Well, I guess a better way it might be to say it is to uh, uh, cast a wider net uh, as far as bringing more voters on board. and. You know, the most important thing you can do in any local race in any sort of electoral pursuit is talk with your neighbors. It's the best political advice I ever got. Just talk with your neighbors and you will find you have so many more things in common than what you might have uh, separating you. And there are different interactions and different things happen. But when you're talking about quality of life, your kids schools, the roads, the sidewalks, you're pretty all on the same page as far as quality of life goes. And we've had historically some trouble, I'll just say, with our city council and some of its funding. Yeah. And I'm sure that this extends to a lot of city council or is it city's council? I don't know the plural, but but talk a little bit about about that kind of, I mean, appropriations and money and, and we'll get more specifically into into San Diego and your platform in a minute. But I, I'm kind of very interested, kind of very interested. I'm very interested in sort of the politics here, because these notions apply across the country and cities across the United States. Yeah, there's a lot of money that uh, cities and municipalities uh, have access to, uh, how they utilize it. Part of the job of at least uh, city council members in the city of San Diego and most most large metropolitan areas is you're, you're putting together budgets. You're putting together your own budget. The mayor is putting together their budgets. Uh, the different departments within the city are putting together their budgets, and you all have to find a way to work together to get one operating budget to move forward with. And the elected officials may not necessarily be uh, where the rubber meets the road on that. They may have staff members. There's folks who work for the city or municipality who have uh, greater institutional knowledge and experience with that. But you do all have to work together. But the most important thing is that there is uh, some strong leadership about where we want the city to go how we feel the funds can be best spent, and making sure that uh, if if there's a surplus, there's a good reason why we have the surplus, whether it's a a rainy day situation. And no one ever could have imagined a situation like what we've had the last couple of years with uh, a pandemic. Uh, Obviously, being a a coastal city and a very tourism-driven city, 
San Diego is very seriously affected by COVID at first, but seems to have recovered. But how you wind up managing that money is so very, very important. And the decisions that you're making now, they literally do affect what happens 10 years down the line. Also, you know, in a place like San Diego, we tend not to get the big weather emergencies that uh, other areas of the United States may get. But we could wind up having an earthquake. Uh, we could wind up having a major wildfire uh, disaster. And even though we would wind up being reimbursed by the federal government and FEMA at some point through that process, in the near term, it's quite possible that we may have to draw upon our own resources uh, until federal help becomes available. So it's important that you have some money set aside, but you're also uh, getting a lot of the, the general fund things fixed, street lights and, and sidewalks and and potholes. And that's kind of what uh, what I tend to talk about with my neighbors. Streetlights, people mm-hmm. up and down the boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I will not try doing a, a Steve Perry impersonation, but if I was a bolder <laughs> singer, perhaps I'd, I'm not the one who turns down karaoke, Allison. But <laughs> I know. I know you. I'll go with the Pixies or something. So. <laughs> yeah, I figured you might. Yeah, Steve Perry is a little bit hard there, too. He's up on a yeah. pretty high vocal register. Um, Steve Perry aside, I want to ask you about District 6, and I want to ask you about your platform, but I need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yes, of course. Great, thanks. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Beans. Several hours a day are spent sitting at our desks or on our couches watching TV, but what if you could use those inactive times to burn calories, get fit, and stay mobile? Thanks to my new QB, pronounced QB, C-U-B-I-I, It's an elliptical machine that fits under my desk. I can pedal while I'm at my computer. I am using it right now and you cannot hear it because it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints. And as a recent clinical study confirms, it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime, virtually anywhere. QB is also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs something to help improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy, QB would be a great holiday gift this season. I love my QB. I know you will, too. You can take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy and mobile with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Monk Pack. If you're looking for a healthy, tasty snack that's satisfying, consider Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars. In addition to tasting great, they contain only one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, and non-GMO. There's no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no high-intensity sweeteners. These aren't just for keto dieters either. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped me eat healthier because they're a great healthy snack that's actually filling and satisfying. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now is the coconut cocoa chip. I love coconut. I love the chewy texture. They're delicious with no high-intensity sweeteners or weird textures. So try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for listeners. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in, in what they peddled. These are so good. They're backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like them for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money. So there's no risk here. And to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Tommy Howe, friend of mine, longtime friend and candidate for District 6, San Diego City Council. And, and before the break, I alluded to the district. Can you tell us a little bit about the demographics and location of the district? What District 6, the, the one you're running in? Yeah, and it's interesting to be talking about this right now because the city is just finishing up a redistricting process. Typically, this redistricting process happens in years that end with the number one. That's because we have census data that have been drawn from the year before that winds up being utilized to determine where population shifts have occurred, where more people are, where less people are, uh, and making sure that everyone has an equal stake at representation. That's a very, very important component of redistricting. Now, let's, I don't want to get that confused with gerrymandering. Sometimes you take the redistricting process and things can be really violently gerrymandered. And we've seen uh, in states like Ohio, where I used to live in some other states, some very bizarre examples of modern art of some of these districts that were drawn. Yeah, Texas is a great example. And the D- Department of Justice just sued them for their redistricting, saying it's in violation of the of Section two of the Voting Rights Act, which fortunately was not gutted in 2013 by the Supreme Court. So, yeah, there's all sorts of 
considerations when you're redrawing lines. Yeah, I think Jim Jordan's district in Ohio has got, it looks like a hydra or something. It's just this bizarre shape that they threw on an otherwise perfectly normal map of counties in Ohio. But uh, fortunately, at least here in our uh, corner of California, things tend to work pretty sensibly. And there are good public discussions that occur about how we want to consider redistricting processes. There's certainly a lot of opportunities for public inputs. And being a commissioner, you know, you have a lot thrown at you and there's a lot asked of them because you are making decisions about how people are going to vote for the next uh, decade. And that is rather important. And as you noted, the, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 plays a big role in making sure that you are checking off a number of boxes and making sure that everyone winds up having um, equal representation. And like I said, an, an equal stake at that representation. So as far as District 6 goes, uh, I live in the Mira Mesa neighborhood of uh, San Diego, which is sort of the nucleus of District 6. Some other neighborhoods include Miramar, which is best known for MCAS Miramar, which is right down the street from us. Top Gun. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This huge footprint of the federal government, which is one of our big economic drivers in the district. Uh, there's Sereno Valley, which is one of the other big economic drivers, which is where Qualcomm and Lumina and a lot of other high tech outlets are located. And then we've also added some uh, neighborhoods that have historically not been in this community, in this district before, but we added University City. And we, it looks like we're going to be adding some of the southern neighborhoods of Scripps Ranch that um, actually may recall burned back in 2003 in the wildfire that year. Yeah. And Kearney Mesa as well in the Convoy area, which is on the southern end of the district down by Montgomery Field. So it, it's a big, diverse district. It is the most ethnically diverse district north of Interstate 8, which is the big east-west dividing line here in San Diego. We have uh, about 20-odd languages you can wind up hearing just walking around Mira Mesa. I try and have my website translate into many of those uh, languages as possible. We have uh, a number of different Asian ethnicities uh, in our community. A, a number of my neighbors are uh, Filipino and, and Chinese and uh, Vietnamese heritage. And it's just a great place to live. My wife and I love it here. We've been here for the last, what, eight, nine years now. And it's just a, it's just a great neighborhood. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored just to have the opportunity to run to go and represent the district. I'm very proud to do so. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the AAPI community because there is a large sector of AAPI voters and families and people in in that district, in District 6. Has there been a rise like there has nationwide in violence against the AAPI community here in San Diego? And is that a consideration for for something that city council could could have an impact on? Yes, definitely. And uh, and I'm not saying there's been a, a huge rise in the kind of random violence that we saw on a lot of television news, but obviously intimidation of any neighbors is not appropriate. Intimidation of anyone is not appropriate. Violence against uh, neighbors or otherwise is completely inappropriate. There was a very high profile uh, incident that occurred just about a year ago, uh, maybe early in, in 2021, a woman was on the San Diego trolley and, and, and someone attacked her. And it was it's terrible. And, you know, you read about this stuff and, and this, this nice woman's grandmother and you think it could be your grandmother. And uh, I spoke with my neighbors about this. And, and uh, I'm also a San Diego County Planning Commissioner. And so uh, I had just been appointed to the seat, but I, I, I let the county supervisor who appointed me know that I was going to write a letter to the city's Human Relations Commission to let them know that, in my opinion, it seemed to be a good move for the city to initiate discussions, public discussions with a lot of AAPI communities throughout the city of San Diego for a couple of reasons. One, I felt it was important to make sure that if people had felt intimidated in the past, that they had a venue to talk about that in a very safe way where that could also be a, a matter of public record, because any Anytime someone is sitting on an instance of intimidation that occurred in their community, you know, we, we want to make it safe and comfortable for them to come forward and being in a public forum. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but I think it's also a good way of, of exercising a lot of uh, uh, demons and otherwise that may be in our communities that need to be addressed. I also felt it was important to do that because I wanted to make sure that first responders and especially police and many of the police in our community are of various AAPI ethnicities. But I think it was very, very important that, that they understood that we have a lot of senior, especially AAPI neighbors, who might feel inhibited about reporting something that was even, that they even felt was, was meant to be intimidating because of face, because of cultural concerns, because of, of, of 
insecurity over their ability to speak English because they were afraid that they could be misunderstood by police or misunderstood by by their neighbors. And again, it seems like counterintuitive doing a public discussion on that, you know, to where you could talk about a lot of that. But at the same time, it would bring a great deal of media attention and community attention to this problem that um, was very, very loud in the news a few months ago, but that hasn't gone away. And in the city as diverse as the city of San Diego, I think that's a, a responsible thing that city leaders could do. But this is about leadership. And this is about promoting these ideas and making sure that people have a safe space to go and express these concerns. And talking about ideas, who is your opponent in District 6? And what are the issues that you'll be focusing on in this election? Well, I'll say that um, the, I, I'm running as a Democrat. There's a couple other Democrats running. There is another Republican running. There is no incumbent. It is an open seat, which is an unusual situation. So mm -hmm. for this cycle, this is the only San Diego City Council seat that is an open seat where there is no incumbent. And the issues that I'm talking about are, are very similar to the issues that I spoke about in 2018, except that in many cases, uh, things have just gotten worse. And the biggest issue that applies to, to all of our neighbors is that we have a great deal of deferred maintenance and infrastructure issues in this community where I live in Mira Mesa, but District 6 overall, that for some reason continue to get kicked down the road and never seem to be addressed. We are the economic center of the city in San Diego, and yet we have the worst roads in the city. And you know, I know a lot of the folks downtown. I, I know a lot of the council members. I, I, I'm friends with some of the council members. I, I, I like them. And it's like, hey, Tommy, you know, we've all got potholes. And I'm like, no, you can take the Pepsi challenge on some of the roads that we have in Mira Mesa. They're really in very serious condition. In some cases, these roads were built 50 odd years ago on loose soils with poor drainage because this was all vernal pools before party built the homes here back in 1970. And you have the landfill up there, too. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, you've just had a lot of intrusion from water over time. And it, the city has not made an attempt to really go and rebuild a lot of these roads that have fallen apart. And, and let's let's clarify the difference here. And again, I'm getting down to a lot of granular discussion that I have with my neighbors. So forgive me, Allison, but this can apply to other communities as well. There's resurfacing a street and sealing a street versus rebuilding a street. These are two totally different things. And in many of our roads here in Mira Mesa, the roadbeds have just been eaten away after five decades. We have one road here, Pisces, not to pick on them, but they need some attention, where you have road folds that go up six, eight inches, you can't drive over them. You will, you will pull off your oil pan and probably your front, front bumper if you try doing that. Now, that's not appropriate in the eighth biggest city in the United States. We have a major arterial here called Gold Coast Drive. It is the worst road in the city. Apparently, money's been set aside to go and rebuild it. That's good, but there's no timetable as to when that's going to wind up occurring. So a lot of this has to do with just getting some aggressive leadership for our community at City Hall and I'll just uh, say, Allison, that sort of the tragedy of, of, of and tragedy is too strong a word, but this community has always had our council members sort of being co-opted by these downtown special interests and lobbyists and developers who essentially place somebody in here to do their bidding. So there might be other communities like Del Cerro or Scripps Ranch or La Jolla where their representative is actually representing them in a more granular way, unlike our council representative. Yeah. And and we're going to need responsible appropriations of, of any federal funds that come in from Build Back Better or the infrastructure bill that, that just passed. And those funds need to be appropriated and distributed properly. And that's what city councils do. And so that's why city council elections across this country are going to be so critical in the next election cycle, because in is going to come all that infrastructure money and you want the right people deciding how that money is spent. Are you going to do bike lanes, environmental stuff, fix roads, or are you going to spend it on massive developers, you know, with deep pockets and and all of that kind of thing, which we've seen here in the past quite extensively. So that is why these local elections are so important. And Tommy, I'm going to be joining you Sunday this Sunday, December 12th for a fundraiser. And I'm so happy that I'm going to be doing this. And I'm so glad. I never thought I'd say I'm so glad I was fired by the Trump administration because I'm no longer bound by the Hatch Act and I can I can help fundraise for political campaigns. And so in that spirit, can you tell everyone where to find your campaign, how they can help and how they can donate? 
Yes, absolutely. You can go to my website, which is TommyHow.com. Now, my name is spelled really ridiculously, so bear with me here. It's T-O-M-M-Y-H-O-U-G-H.com. I think in Scotland it was pronounced Haw, but here in the United States it's How. T-O-M-M-Y-H-O-U-G-H.com. If you'd like to visit our website, you can certainly make a contribution. Uh, We have a big fundraising deadline coming up December the 31st, so it's really imperative that we're able to uh, get as much support as we can now. And indeed, we do have a fundraiser coming up on Sunday the 12th. That's going to be at 3 p.m. If you'd like to uh, uh, RSVP for that, you can go to my website and do so. And once you RSVP, we can get the address and the location for you. But we'd love to have everyone out there. And I'd be happy to talk with you more about uh, our housing concerns here in Mira Mesa and uh, District 6 and how we need to take a lot of these suburban spaces, these very high-speed suburban spaces, and find ways to soften the edges and retrofit some of them. Because as we welcome new neighbors into the community, we need to make these spaces safer for our neighbors to walk and bicycle and uh, and really enjoy living in this community instead of having to feel like they're obliged to get in their car and go 70 miles an hour just to go to the Vons. Yeah, very good point. So everybody look into your local city council and then, uh, you know, if you've got a couple of bucks, kick it over to Tommy Howe, H-O-U-G-H dot com. And uh, I appreciate your time and I will see you Sunday, my friend. Looking forward to it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Who doesn't love to live well and to be perfectly at ease and comfortable in your home? And Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that are so advanced, they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. It might be the way the shades diffuse the harsh sunlight and keep the room cool and cast a beautiful glow, or being able to enjoy the view outside while protecting your privacy inside, or the superior insulation, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and, you know, easing some of the burden on our electric grids, our utility grids. Or is it simple that it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything just looks and feels right? And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's power view technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy and insulation morning, noon and night. I think you'll really love the way your home looks and feels with Hunter Douglas. So live beautifully, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style and increased comfort in your home with Hunter Douglas. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans today for your free style get smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans for your free design guide. And today's show is also brought to you by Calibrate. You know, I've tried some stupid weight loss fads in the past. And once I tried an all-cookie diet, I think we know how that turned out. But our sponsor today, Calibrate, is not a diet or a quick fix. It's a year-long commitment that gives you the tools to fight your biology. Traditional diets don't work because you can't fight biology with willpower. Calibrate is different. It's comprehensive, doctor-guided, metabolic reset. It promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. Calibrate is a fully integrated program combining classes and one-on-one video coaching, in-app tracking, and community, a community of support from members just like you, plus medical care, including a video doctor visit. Calibrate works because they combine doctor-prescribed, FDA-approved medication paired with lifestyle changes to improve metabolic health. Before Calibrate, this pairing was only available in clinical and academic settings. You can easily fit Calibrate into your busy schedule. Your goals are personalized and tracked by doctors and coaches, and you can check in with the app as often or as unoften as you would like, which I love. Your weight doesn't reflect your willpower, so get back into control with Calibrate. Get $50 off the one-year metabolic reset when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at joincalibrate.com. That's $50 off when you use code DAILYBEANS at joincalibrate.com. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll on good news is on the way. I love talking to local candidates running for office, in, in, whether it's city council or judgeships or school board. I absolutely love those discussions. They're so they're specific to where you are, but they apply everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. This is good news. This is the good news portion of the program. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, if I messed anything up, or if Dana mispronounces anything, you know that you can send. <laughs> you can send. Do not it. feed or pet the animals, Allison. <laughs> How dare you set me up for that right at the beginning of the good news segment? <laughs> oh, I love you, my friend. I <laughs> love you too. Uh, you could send them into us at uh, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to kick us off with a submission here from Vanna, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans crew. I apologize. This may be a little lengthy and not sound like good news at first. A lot, a lot of our submissions start that way, Dana. 
But in the vein of AG's daily reminder of taking care of your mental health, I promise that it is. I was born and raised in Texas. Oh, see, that's that's the problem. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kidding, Texas. (laughs) Kidding, Texas. I do love Texas. I love true blue Texas. It's just gerrymandered to fuck. So I'm glad the DOJ is suing them. All right. My husband and I set up roots there and had four amazing kids. Our oldest is 15. Our youngest is four. Busy. We uprooted this summer and moved to Michigan for a host of reasons. However, while living in Texas, we had school-aged children when the Santa Fe school shooting happened a few years ago. Mm. Santa Fe was roughly 40 minutes or so from where we lived. So I found it somewhat odd that our school district seemed unfazed by it. Living in a bigger city, I suppose we had become desensitized to violence in general, as it was all that seemed to fill the news broadcasts. And unfortunately, school shootings were becoming more and more common nationally. It honestly didn't register how little our district at the time did to acknowledge or ease anyone's mind of the, after the shooting until I compare and contrast it this past week. We live roughly 30 minutes from the school in Oxford that had the shooting last week. Whether it's that we live in a smaller town than we had in Texas or just a completely different mentality of leadership, I'm not sure. But this shooting impacted our area and surrounding communities in a bigger, different way than Santa Fe did. My husband and I received daily emails from the superintendent briefing us of what increased security measures were being taken, the threats that were being investigated, one of which went so far to have the child's home searched for weapons, and thankfully they found none. The disciplinary actions that were being taken against students that made threats, the steps that the counselors and security officers were taking to talk with students and reassure them of their safety, an informative email of the best ways to talk with our children at an age-appropriate level of what had happened, etc. There was so much transparency and obvious care being taken by the district, and I was very impressed. And then late Thursday night, we received an email saying that given the events of the weeks uh, and the obvious stress and worry that we as a community had experienced that week, they were canceling school for the following day, Friday, for a mental health day. I couldn't even believe it. This move was such a huge undertaking and our summer was filled with so much stress. Yet in that moment, I knew we made the absolute right decision. We live in a place that genuinely cares about safety and mental health of not only my kids, but us as parents and the staff and teachers who are shaping these little people into hopefully prosperous adults. I wish our world recognized the seriousness of mental health, and it wasn't so taboo to discuss. But last week felt like a huge step in the right direction, and I wish more schools would take the mental health and well-being of their community into account and recognize the importance of breaks like this when needed. Thank you, AG, for your daily reminder of this. Here's hoping, little by little, we can continue to bring mental health discussions out of the shadows and shine a light on the importance of truly taking care of ourselves, mind, body, and soul. For Pet Tax, I share our old boy, Gus. He is nine and starting to show his age, but he's been the best four-legged baby and we couldn't love him more. Oh, what a cute picture. Oh, who did the hound I know. <laughs> Hello, Gus. Oh, Gus, what a great name for a hound dog. That was really beautifully written. And I'm glad you live in a community now that you feel like supports you and your family. I think it's a huge difference. So thank you for kicking us off with that. And uh, yeah. please don't worry about any sort of length when it's a story like that. It's perfect. Now, our next one is from Alec, pronounced he and him. Hello, fabulous humans. I have a shit kid say that my fiance and I laugh about often. We just finished dinner with the family and it was time for dessert. We asked our nephew, eight or so at the time, if he had room for dessert, and he replied that he was very full and would wait a bit for his food to get smaller. It's been years, and we still <laughs> use that phrase when we're full. That's really cute. For pod pet tags, please find my gentle Ophelia. She'll be 19 in the spring. I've had her since my roommates and I wanted a kitten back in university. Ophelia went with the roommate when we, sl- when we split up. After a few months, she said she couldn't handle Ophelia and offered her to me, and I couldn't have said yes faster. Ophelia is the sweetest kitty. She's never bitten anyone and only learned how to hiss a few months ago. (laughs) I still don't know how she knows what kissing is really for. Seriously. She's my bestie little void kitty and truly a loyal companion. All she ever wants to be is close to her human. The meows mournfully when we're on different floors of the house. I call it singing the songs of her people. Oh yeah. my God, how sweet. <laughs> yeah, from sad, sad cat diaries. It's adorable. They had the, the authorities have shut the bedroom door again. I shall sit in the hallway and sing the song of my people. <laughs> we had a scare at the start of COVID where I thought we were going to lose her, but she pulled through thanks to our vet and modern science. I know that pets are never with us for very long, but it's still going to break me when she eventually leaves. Do you have any advice for saying goodbye to a pet? Oh, I'm probably going to have to say goodbye to one of my boys pretty soon, too. Oh, no. he's, he's He's a void, looks just like this baby here. 
but you know, he had cancer a couple of years ago. Everybody in this community, the beans community, Dana, they all chipped in a couple of bucks and we were able to pay for cancer surgery. He's been cancer free now for a couple of years. That's amazing. But the best advice that I've read is to be there in the room, holding them, that's, touching them. Yeah. That seems, seems like great advice. Cause so they're not afraid. Yeah, look at this pretty baby. I know. Sweet, sweet baby. That last picture, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Other than that, I mean, it's just, it's pain. It's awful pain. And you just have to go, you just have to go through it. Yeah. You know? Oh, what a beautiful baby. Thank you for that submission. I'm tearing up a little bit here. All right. Next up from Ashley, pronouns she and her for the good news. As the adult child of a teenage parent, my mom had me when she was 15. I'm constantly learning things I was simply never taught growing up. This is the most recent addition to what could probably be a book called Crap My Parents Forgot to Tell Me. (laughs) (laughs) Back in July, I woke up feeling like I'd been stabbed beneath my collarbone. My husband eventually convinced me to go to urgent care to get it checked out after not being able to eat or barely move. After determining I was not physically injured or having a heart attack, the doctor decided heartburn and sent me along my way with a prescription for an anti-heartburn pill. The pain has occurred three or four more times since then, much to my dismay despite fairly regular use of said amaprazole. Last night was no exception, but I finally connected the dots. Growing up, my parents always offered me a way to help you swallow medications. Water. Quote, unquote, help you swallow. That was what it was explained to me as being for, to help swallow. I've spent my entire life thinking that people who cannot dry swallow medications are big old babies. A half hour before the pain began last night, I gave my husband side eye when he offered me water as I downed my pills, antidepressant, and birth control in one go. Teach your kids the reason to take pills with a big glass of water so they don't burn a hole in their esophagus, all caps. Oh my God. So I guess the good news is I can stop taking heartburn meds? <laughs> For pick tax, four-month-old Ichi in a rare moment of peace instead of his constant tornado. Oh, he does, I guess Ichi gets the zoomies. The great tuxedo minion of chaos. Oh, they are. They're so chaotic. Ashley. Sweet. Okay. Thank you for sharing that (laughs) because it it blows my mind when people take pills without water. I mean, I, I I just figured that I had, you know, I needed it (laughs) because whatever that's my small throat. I don't fucking know, but it just blows my mind when someone downs some pills without water. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I used to take, sorry, I was taking a sip of my coffee. I used to take like all my pills at once with water, but like, all my vitamins oh, no. and supplements all at once. Now I do gummies because it's it's the sugar I get. That's oh. the sugar I get for the day. <laughs> well, there you go. I was like, what kind of gummies? Okay, this next one's from <laughs> Ma- <laughs> uh-huh. This next yeah. one's from Molly, pronouns she and her. Every bar needs a cat. I call ours Jennifer. <laughs> but some people in the house prefer Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer. Jennifer. <laughs> I look at them with slight disdain, but I digress. Jennifer found our barn in November to give birth to about a million kittens. This is about a million too many barn cats. Thanks to the Cat Protection Council of Westchester, ours is healthy and won't be having another litter. They trapped her, neutered her, gave her flea meds and antibiotics for UTI from all her kittens, tipped her ears, took in all the kittens, and returned Jennifer all for free. My goodness. Now, I don't have a picture of Jennifer. She's pretty elusive because she's off having babies. But I know she's happy to be in the barn controlling the rodent population. Big shout out to the Cat Protection Council of Westchester for doing all they did for Jennifer. Jennifer. (laughs) Now, tipped her ears. What that means is they'll remove a tiny, they'll remove the tip of the ear. Yes. So that they can tell that that feral cat has been, has taken been spayed, neutered, yes. and, and is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you see a kitty with a little clipped ear, that's what's happening. Yeah, don't expect kittens. No, yeah, no. All right, oh my God, these pictures. Okay, finally, from anonymous pronoun she and her, dear ladies of the beans, I have an odd things that children say anecdote to share. I was in early childhood development. The kids in my care came from poor rural South Carolina homes. They inspired me to be very focused on language development. So we read plenty of books, sang lots of songs, and had many, many conversations. One of my favorite conversations that I've ever had in the classroom or out was with a little boy. He was absolutely adorable. He was busy in the kitchen center one morning and talking about his father. I asked him about his dad's job, and he looked up at me, smiled his glorious smile, and said, he's a sausage. Huh. Huh. Your dad is a sausage, I said, trying to keep a straight face (laughs) and respectfully serious tone in my voice. He had gone back to whatever he was doing, so I favored 
with another dazzling smile. Yes, ma'am. So I continued to pump him for clues to help me figure out what kind of work a sausage might do. Does he go to work during the day while you're at school or at night? Does he work outside? Does he have friends at work? You know, 20 <laughs> questions. Finally, after I badgered him long enough, he took pity on me, said he's in the army. He tells other people what to do. Hmm. The clouds of my confusion rolled away. Ah, is your dad a sergeant? Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a sergeant. <laughs> he's a sausage. <laughs> we practiced saying sergeant a few times because I kept thinking his father might not particularly like being called a sausage in public someday. Or else he would find it hilarious, as I did. You can never tell with parents. Don't have any pets to share, but here's a picture of my three-year-old grandson helping make Thanksgiving dressing by cutting apples. He's quite a chef. In the uh, Three years old. In the other picture, he's wearing the road trip hat that I made him. Thanks for all you do to help us get through the last 250 years or however long it's been. <laughs> I've lost count. Look how freaking cute this kid is. That hair. That child. Gorgeous. Amazing. I want that hair can i need i need that and the hat is adorable look at the road look at the cars the road trip i know sky and the road oh love it absolutely love it. what a beautiful kid man this is a beautiful kid mm-hmm. slicing up apples i want you to know ah <laughs> oh, so great thank you thank you so much for that submission anonymous and thank thank you to everyone for your submissions today and if you have anything you want to send in, pet pics, uh, adoptable pets in your area, the shit kids say, whatever it is you want to send to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana. Yes, dear. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't. I don't today. You know what? I don't. That's cool. Well, shit, wait, is today my last, is today is my Thursday, my Friday with you. I should have a last final thought and I don't. That's okay. I don't even know. Maybe you'll be back tomorrow. I don't even know. I don't oh, that's even know what true. And usually we don't know. That's true. We never know. Yeah, you we never, never know. know until the last minute. We like to keep you so, on your toes, Beans listeners. No final thought today. So uh, tune in tomorrow or maybe Monday and find out if Dana has a final thought. And until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>